put on my heart for some time now that's just been really strong in my heart is uh, I mentioned it Friday night at school of the spirit but I feel that something that is uh, plaguing the church just like it's plaguing our world <laughs> is a consumer mindset let me articulate let me explain what I'm saying is that in the, the society that we live in I see that it's crept into the church is I do things that are convenient for me, and I do them because of what I get out of it. I see it in relationships. I see it in marriages. It's consumer marriages, and what does that mean? Well, as long as it's profitable for me, I'll stay in it. Oh, don't shout me down. I know you hear what I'm saying. But when I feel that it's no longer profitable for me, I'll just move on uh, because I'm in it for what I can get. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, it's a consumer mentality. It's a, what can I get out? What am I going to get out of this? I'm, I'm here just to get. I just want to get. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give my name's Jimmy. I want all that you can give me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to confuse you, Stephen. <laughs> it's really James. James Todd. It's not Jimmy. But uh, it's the same. <laughs> Stephen said, Jimmy? I never knew your name was Jimmy. <laughs> But we have this mindset, and I see it in the church, the same thing. I've seen it in the church for some time. And what that is is we'll pick the church that gives me the most bang for my buck. (laughs) Amen. I'm not mad. I'm smiling. I'm not upset. I just see it. And and I'm not anti-anything, okay? Let me just tell you straight from the get, I have no agenda. All right? I'm not attacking anyone or anything. All right? My heart's clear between me and the Lord and between me and you. Does that make sense? I'm not here to prove anything. I'm not here to to preach at anyone in particular. I have no axe to grind, and I'm not on a soapbox. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure that we're clear that I have... I've just been praying into this, and I see that it's so easy to get in the mindset of, I want to be connected to stuff that just gives me the most that I can get out of it without... Without his, uh, with the least amount of res- obligation on my half. <laughs> Are you with me? Uh, we're a, a no-contract society. And, I, and you know, I, I can deal with that. I mean, I understand that there is, I'm not in a ditch, okay? Let me say that too. Let me give that disclaimer in the beginning. I'm not in a ditch. I've not seen abuse over here, so I jerked the wheel and I'm over here on this side anymore. I, I'm not in that ditch. I'm I'm trying to stay in the middle of the road, so I'm not saying that everything is wrong when it comes to uh, us, you know, not one, when I'm saying that there, uh, there's nothing wrong in areas of our life to say, you know what, I'm going to put into this, and I expect a good return. That makes sense. Okay. Um, but what I see is it's so... It's so easy to be connected to something where I go, I just want to go so I can get what I can get and then just back out, just pull away without any commitment on my behalf. And um, as I've been looking at that and looking in the body, as we were singing that song, uh, You Father the Orphans, you know, I'm convinced that a big part of that is that orphan big brother spirit that says, 
listen, it says this, if you get it, then it's taking it from me for you to get it. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That, or, that big brother and that orphan spirit says that if Stephen has it, then I can't because God had to give it to him instead of me. You ever heard anybody pray this? Well, God, I, if, it doesn't matter if you don't ever know the answer, prayer, answer another prayer for me, but if you would just do this for so-and-so. You ever heard anybody say that? Man, that was rampant in the church we grew up in. If you don't ever answer another one of my prayers, just do this for so-and-so. He's, that's not who he is. He's bigger than that, amen? That's not who he is. And so, as, I was, as we were singing that song, and I was thinking about the big brother, you know, um, we know the story. The younger brother went to the father, and he pretty much said, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff, right? Now, you know what's so beautiful about this story is it says in, uh, it's in Luke chapter 15, and uh, verse 15, it says, Then he went and joined himself to the sin of that country and sent him into the fields to, to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, verse 16, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Listen, what you have to understand in this culture, I believe every day the father was looking for the son. Because here's what would have happened in that culture. Had the father not seen the son before anyone else, then the, the community would have had right to stone the son. Because the way that he took his inheritance and left, most scholars believe that that was disrespecting. And the word is, is replete when it talks about a child. I mean, you know, we, we've got it good. I mean, literally, they dealt with rebellion totally different than we did. If a child was rebellious and it wouldn't repent, you know what they did? They stoned it. They we wouldn't have a population problem. I'm saying rebellious kids that didn't want to listen, they would, the community would stone them. Right? That, it is right. If you don't know, it is right. In case you're wondering, that's right. So the father, he was looking, he was watching for his son. He said when he saw his son a, a great way off, he ran to the son. He threw himself on the son. And he started calling, saying, here, I want you to bring these things for my son. What was he doing? And I'm not going to go through all those. But he restored his authority. He restored his dignity in the house. Basically, what he said to the community when he put his robe on him and his ring, he said, he's, he's, he's covered and he's given his authority back. He put shoes on his feet. He said, he's given, I've given his provision back. Not, not his inheritance. He wasted that. His connection to me, the Father. And it said, I'm no longer uh, worthy. And he arose again. His father's a great way. Verse 21. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the, robe, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. 
For his son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. You know, you read this, somebody was reading this as a story, and you know, a commentator. He says, and they, and they, for his son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They became merry. Now his older son was in the field. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is a little commercial break. Welcome to my world. His older son was in the field, and he came, and he drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has, received, uh, he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. It didn't say he could not go in. It said he would not go in because he was angry. Why was he angry? Because he thought that what the son had was taken from who he was. He had that big brother mentality that if, if you get it, then I can't have it. And what I, the reason I'm... I'm bringing that in right now is because what that causes is an area of offense. Someone can be in the church and you can say, well, I know that person. I know they're not living like they ought to be living. They're not doing everything perfect. You ought to have all kinds of sirens and red flags going off just making that statement because you've immediately left the grace of God and moved over into the camp of works that says that what they do entitles them to the blessing of God. And that's the mentality that many have in the church is if I do everything right, then God's got to work on my behalf. Right? I I know you've never said this or have never heard anybody say this. Well, I've done all I know to do. I've fasted and I've prayed and God still hasn't moved. You know what that is? That's an expectancy of saying, God, because I've done my part, now you've got to do your part. It's looking at a thing of, of reward Saying, God, because I'm good, then you've got to do something. Instead of saying, God, you're good and you've already done it. <laughs> you've already done it. Lord, you are good. It's, been, it's finished. Jesus said, it is finished. The veil was rent. Hebrews 9 says that he made a way into the holiest by the blood of the Lamb. We have access into the presence of God. Every one of us individually. We don't have to come before a high priest anymore. We don't have to go before a man and say, well, you go to God for me. Jesus went to God, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father for us so that we can boldly come in, so that we don't have to worry if someone else gets blessed, then why didn't I get it? You know, Josh shared testimony last week, and he talked about the things the Lord has done in their life in a short period of time, but he didn't talk about everything that they've been believing for and the, time, the steps that they took to walk through it, to get to that place of breakthrough, the steadfastness that it took to say, God, I know who you are. It doesn't, I, I see what it looks like. And it doesn't mean that he did it perfect. But if we look at that and we start evaluating, well, I wonder exactly what Josh did to make that work. So what we want to do is we want to create a formula. You see it throughout church history. <clears throat> That's where... <sighs> Remember I told you, I don't have an axe to grind. I'm not in the ditch. I'm not anti-anybody, okay? Are you with me? Everybody yes. with me? And that's where we see a lot of denominations come from. What hap- Here's what, ha- what had happened was this. There was a man who had a vibrant, intimate relationship with the Lord. And that man set standards in his life that he lived by. And people saw fruit in his life. And because God used a man mightily in the world, 
They said, we're going to follow what he did so that we can get what he had. And what they didn't do is follow the, the relationship that he had. They followed the form. They followed the expression of his relationship between him and God. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? So they looked at a man who had fruit in his life, and they go, man, that must be working, so I want to do what he does. And everybody who wants to be like us is going to do it exactly like he does it, because it worked for him, it has to work for us. That entitlement mentality, that consumer mentality, well, if I do this, I'll get the same result. I was listening to Heather share a testimony. I've told you before, I'm not anti-social media. I just partake very little. I'm more of a social stalker than I am a social media guy. Okay, I just flip through Facebook to see some of the ridiculousness that some people put out there and scratch my head. I just go, man, that's just amazing that people would say that. That's not part of Heather's testimony, okay? (laughs) Heather is a social media butterfly. And yet again... She's won another contest, and which one was it this time? Instagram? Always Instagram. This time she won, and uh, here you go. I refuse to butcher it. Heather, come on up. Share your testimony. In six weeks, I've won $1,800. Come on. Um, well, this is, this is what's really cool, and I've, it's really cool because I've been able to share it with some people who don't know Jesus, and they actually are seeing the reason why I'm winning, which is the whole purpose of it. Um, the first contest I won, I was actually praying if I was supposed to go to the DR, and uh, I was like, yeah, if I win this $750, then I'll go. And I did. I won it. <laughs> so I'm going to the DR. Um, Amen. And then um, this next one, I was actually, it was yesterday, I was in Edenton. My, my girlfriends I went to college with were actually doing a girl's trip next weekend at my aunt's house in Edenton. And her brother needs Jesus and stole all of her money for her trip to buy a plane ticket and get out here. And so one of the other girls bought her plane ticket on a credit card because she said, I cannot imagine you not being here. Like, we haven't seen you in forever And so she said, whenever you could pay me back, just pay me back. Well, meanwhile, the girl that didn't have the money is like crying herself to sleep every night. She couldn't even put money into her gas tank. And she didn't tell any of us this stuff because she's just that kind of person who doesn't want sympathy. Um, And I just, when Shannon, my friend Shannon, told me that she bought the ticket on her credit card, I was like, man, God, like, I know this isn't super spiritual, like we're get together, but I just don't like the idea that someone stole something from my friend that was hers for her to come out here. So please just let me win a PayPal cash on Instagram so that I can give her money. And I really was being honest because it wasn't like, this would be really cool. I was really being sincere in my heart and no joke, I met my family's get together and I won a thousand dollars on Instagram. (laughs) So her ticket was $508. So that's to pay for that and then some other money to help her enjoy her stay while she's here next weekend. Amen. You know what's awesome about that? What's awesome about that is that's not that orphan spirit. It's not that entitlement spirit. It's, that, it's not that she did everything right. It's just that she said, God, I know you're big enough to do this, so I'll take the, the funds of the world and use them to funnel for your gospel. Come on. 
Did you hear that? She said she'd called the night before she'd cried out. The girl cried out to God said, if you don't do something in my finances, I don't know what I'm going to do in the Lord. See, that's, so, that's why it's so important that we, don't, that we don't just have this mentality, I'm in it to, get, to win it. I'm in it to get what I can get. But that, Lord, I believe that you're bigger than me. You're bigger than my ability. You're bigger than my resources. If I choose to be a source that you can flow through, God, I believe you can show off in my life. Because I'm convinced that we, the majority of us, live in a place that's comfortable, that we can maintain, that we've got the means to keep it up because it's safe. Instead of living in that place of saying, God, I realize that you're bigger than this. I was reading Isaiah yesterday, Isaiah, I think, 43, and he talks about how I'll make a, a river in the desert. And as you continue reading that, he talks about how when the children of Israel, in context what he's talking about, when the children of Israel were in the, in the desert, when they'd come out of Egypt, they were in the desert, and the, the water came out of the rock. You know, I've shared before my imagination I love. Uh, it's pretty cool. We have a good time there. But I see the, I've, you know, scholars say it was over a million people, uh, I think that's right, that came out. What did you say? Three million people? I was thinking that's what it was, around three million people with cattle and things like that when they left. So when we say water came out of a rock, you know, I've seen pictures and I've seen uh, Hollywood and there's this rock and there's this little stream coming out. But you know what? If it was three million people and all that, they'd still be over there drinking water today out of a little trickle coming out of a rock. Are you with me? There'd be dead skeletons everywhere around the rock because just the ones right in the front would get water. But he said, you'll be a river in the desert. It's a river in the desert. There, there was literally, when, when he smote the rock the first time, I believe that a, a river came out. Amen. And they were able to gather around the river and get refreshment to get, to get the sustenance of life right there in the desert. So God was saying, look, I can make a river in the desert. It's not that big a deal to me. Are you with me? It's not that big a deal to me. It is to us, but it's not to him. And I constantly say, all right, Lord, what is it? He said, it's because you're living inside of your ability to produce results instead of mine. And don't you love that? And here's the way the Lord works in my life. When he gives me revelation on something, he gives me opportunity. You tracking? Here's what I mean by that. When God gives me revelation, he gives me opportunity to walk in that revelation. And every time, that's not warm and fuzzy. Because, and the only reason it's not warm and fuzzy is because when I'm hard-headed, I refuse to hear. So he, he had me this week earlier uh, looking. I was, was going to study, and I was, I was sitting down. It was Wednesday. I was going to just spend some time with the Lord studying and prepare for today. And the, the Holy Spirit said, no, I don't want you to study. I just want you to spend time with me. I don't want you to read the Word to do anything but to, to fellowship with me. Not to make uh, a message or to, to add to a message. I just want you to spend time with me. I said, all right. So I start reading. And he leads me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is just amazing. When you see what's going on, uh, and so Mark 8 opens with this. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have, uh, they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their houses, they will faint on the way. 
for some of them come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one... uh, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude. So he sits down, and they had a few small fish, and he feeds the seven. Uh, they ate to their full, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover. Isn't that amazing? They had seven loaves and a few small fish, and they, when they were finished, they had seven large baskets full of leftovers. It just doesn't work that way, right? You go home, those ladies who fixed, you've got stuff at home prepared today, cooking for the Sunday meal, right? Anyway, I won't look around. That's the way it used to be. But uh, you've got that. So when you sit down and you eat the meal that you've prepared, right, when you eat, the leftovers aren't bigger than what you started with, right? I mean, you don't have to be, this doesn't have to be super spiritual to track with me on this. I'm not out there in left field, right? You prepare a meal, a plate of lasagna, and everybody eats lasagna. You don't, when you get through eating, there's not two plates of lasagna, right? I mean, that's not hard to track with, right? It's easy. Here, when Jesus does it, he always has more left over. What is he, what are you saying? So what I'm saying is this, if we're obedient when Jesus prompts our hearts to give with compassion, as he was moved with compassion, his desire is to give you more than you started with, not take away from what you have. Amen. That's just who he is and how he works. That's good. Right? They started with seven loaves and a few, bit, few fish. They end up with seven large baskets full. Is that just awesome to anybody other than me? I mean, we can read through these things and just miss them, but that's not where I was going. So verse 11, then the Pharisees came out, began, uh, came out and began to dis, uh, dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. I just think that's funny. I mean, if they've been around him at all, they've heard the stories, they know what's going on. They say, give us a sign to show us you're who you are. Okay, just grab one of those baskets full and have at it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not Jesus. Um, the Bible would look totally different had I been Jesus. <laughs> I'm just telling you. The landscape would have looked totally different had I been Jesus. There'd been things I just wiped out. People I just plucked, they'd have been done. I'm just saying. It wouldn't look like it looks. The whole landscape would be different. The Pharisees demanded a sign. When he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no, shine, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them. I mean, how amazing is that? He said, no sign. I'm not going to, what Jesus was saying is, I'm not going to be manipulated by your religion. The Pharisees came out, verse 13. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reason among themselves, saying, it's because we have no bread. <laughs> I mean, really? Come on. They, they, what happened? They just had seven loaves and a few small fish, took up seven large basketfuls, right? The Pharisee said, you do something when we tell you to do it. Jesus said, not happening. Let's go. 
They got in a boat. They go over. They're going to the other side, and Jesus looks at them, and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What he was talking about is beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. Beware of that religious spirit that's trying to manipulate and control. That's what Jesus was saying. Beware of that. And immediately, where did they go? Oh, snap. He's mad because we don't have no bread. I mean, let's think about this. Think, just think in the natural. Okay, we got, they went into reason, but let's just think in the natural. Seven loaves, few small fish, 4,000. 13 of them in a boat, one loaf of bread. We don't have anything. What? Right? Seven feeds 4,000, not counting women. Two. Are you with me? I can't even do the math. I'm not that smart. But I'm just saying, seven feeding 4,000, one loaf, and he's, all he has to deal with is 13. I mean, just natural reason would have said, well, we only have one loaf, but it's Jesus. We got this. We got a loaf of bread. Anybody with me? Amen. We got a loaf of bread. We're good. We got Jesus, and we got a loaf of bread. Everything is beautiful in the boat. Everything is beautiful in this here boat. But what do they do? They immediately start reasoning. Well, he's upset because we didn't bring any food. So what do they do? They went back to their natural ability to produce results based on their limited resources. And the Lord highlighted in my life how I've done that. And here's, listen, here's what we do sometimes. You know what we call it? We're just being a good steward. I'm just being a good steward of the resources that God's given me. So I'm just going to hold them real tight. No, what you've got, what I had, was an older brother orphan mentality. I was reading a book in the DR, started reading a book in the Dominican Republic. And uh, it talked about this family who had adopted an orphan. And he was a teenager and um, he talked about how this, he came in a relationship with him through the ministry and uh, how he was ministering to this young man. And he would spend a lot of time with him and hate him taking, hated taking him home because his mother and his father, they, they were separated, but they were both drug, uh, heavily into drugs. And he did without more than he did with. And they talked about when they brought him in their family, and I don't remember exactly how many kids that they had of their own when they brought him into the family. And he said that he will never forget when, they would, when he first came. Uh, the father, he went to the father and he said, what are you doing here? And he said, he had a paper. He said, I want you to sign this so that I can adopt your son. He said, as long as he'll leave me alone and get out of my life, I'm fine with it, pretty much is what he said. And he signed the paper. He talked about the first time that they were eating dinner together and he watched this, this young man as he would, had a napkin and he would take food while everyone was eating, and he would put it in a napkin. And then he would take it to his room. He would hide it. Because in his world, he never knew if he was going to have it the next time. So he had to hold on to everything he got. And he said, at that time, I didn't want to say anything that first time to let him know, look, there's a kitchen full. All that you want's here for you. You don't have to worry about having enough. He said, but that spirit that was on him that we had to address was saying, if I don't get all of it right now and hold on to everything I can get, I'll do without later. You hear me? If I don't hold on to everything I have right now, I'll be hungry later. 
So I see elements of that. And when I talked about, I want to destroy a consumer mindset in the church. And what I mean by that is this, that I don't come just to get, but that I understand if I'm in relationship with the King of Kings, that he's placed something on the inside of me. So when I come into this place, when I'm in relationship with people in this place and outside of this place, I'm I'm not in that mentality, I've just got to get something today. I can have a mentality that says that God has given, so I've got something I can give. I've got something I can share. I'm not coming to church to get my time card punched. I'm not coming to church to do this religious deal. I'm coming because God has placed on the inside of me Him. (laughs) He's placed on the inside of me Him. So what does that mean? It means that we're not to imitate Him. I heard this this week, too. I was listening to some teaching. I heard this so good. It said... Nowhere in the Bible it tells us to imitate Jesus. It says that the things that he did, we will do. John 14, 12, Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. But what Jesus did say in John's gospel, he said, this is my flesh and this is my blood that's given for you. He said, eat this. So what are you saying? As we partake of Jesus, we become like him. You know, what did grandma used to say all the time? Y'all are what you eat. Right? There's a lot of wisdom in grandma. You are what you eat. Now, that's true on several different levels. But spiritually, the same thing. If you're constantly feasting on your lack, if you're constantly feasting on your ability to produce results, <clears throat> you'll be constantly frustrated. Amen. But if you constantly feast on who he is, the result of eating Jesus, uh, you say, oh, that sounds so sacrilegious. No, that's what he said, do. And John 6, and a matter of fact, when he told him, this is what you've got to do, it said many left from following him, John 6, 66. Many left from following Jesus because they said, this is a hard saying that we're supposed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. What was he saying? You, as you partake of me, you become like me. Isn't that good? So if that's true, is if as we partake of him, we become like him, then when we come together then it shouldn't just be that I have to come together to get something. If I've been partaking of him, right, I'm like him. So when I come together, it's not just so that I can get something. It's because I have something to give. First Peter. So that these aren't just the musings of Todd Martin, but there's more scripture. I'm going to read from the uh, Amplified Version. Because as I've been praying and pressing this, I'm saying, Lord, what uh, facilitates that consumer mindset in the church? And I believe that uh, there's a few things, and I'm not going to give a a big list or anything, but I think some of the key things are uh, we would rather have formula than family. And the thing that keeps us from family is offense and hurt. Because it's a whole lot easier just to be hurt and offended than it is to be open and transparent. And we'll still declare we love Jesus, but we'll come in just to get what we need, and we won't feel that we have anything to give, because last time I tried to give, I got hurt. <laughs> Quiet up on her. First Peter 4, verse 7 through 11. First Peter 4, 7 through 11. Here's what I know. The psychs know where that is in their Bible, because <laughs> Malia will call them out in a minute. 
Lily. Anyway, this is the Amplified Version. I don't know what version you're reading from. Amplified Version says, But the end and the culmination of all things has come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. So he's saying, this is Peter, right? He said, the end and the culmination of all things is come near. All right. If Peter said that, right? He said, the end of things is come near. We're getting near the end, guys. That's what Peter said. Where are we? Right? Are you with me? So he says that. He says earlier he, in the first part of this chapter, he's talking about uh, lifestyle and stuff like that. And he says, now, we've come to this place that we're near the end. So I want to say something. So what does he say? Verse 8, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. It forgives and disregards the offense of others. Jesus, hallelujah. Practice hospitality to one another, to those of the household of faith. Be hospitable. Be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection from the unknown guest, uh, with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are uh, of Christ's body. And in each instance, do do it ungrudgingly, cordially, and graciously, without complaining, but as representing him. Hallelujah. Verse 10, And as each of you has received a gift. Is that future tense or past tense? Past. As each of you has received a gift. Listen, uh, this is why I'm reading from the Amplified. A particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment. Employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. Come on. Hallelujah. He said, as each of you has received a gift. So, if you came in here today and you're born again, you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, then I tell you with authority of the scripture that you have a gift on the inside of you, that you should not just be coming to get what you got to get to make it through another week. What that says to me is that I lack intimate relationship with Jesus, so I have to come here. This is my Starbucks stop on the way to work. I get my shot. I got to get my hit, my caffeine. What, I got to come to church on Sunday and, so that I can make it to the next Sunday. And we used to, you know, I used to hear people all the time, well, I just wish we still had Wednesday nights because that was just what I needed to make it through the end of the week. And I was real sweet to him. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't say anything like I wanted to sometimes. But he said, each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment. Listen what he says this next. Employ it for one another. So when he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men, they're not so that we can say, here's my gift. This is the gift I have. I operate in this gift. I do this. If you need this, I got this gift. 
Everybody needs to know my gift. That's not what the purpose of it was. He said, you employ it for each other. You know what I believe? Many Christians live frustrated lives because they don't employ their gift. They live frustrated lives because there's stuff God's placed on the inside of them. There's gifts God's placed on the inside of them. And what they do is they hold those gifts. They just, they just sit because they don't feel qualified to release the gift. And then we go back into that works thing all over again, that orphan spirit, that big brother mentality. Well, if I give it away, I'll do without. But for the most, it's not even that. They don't feel worthy to use it. Why? Because their worth is based on their performance and not on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not how good we are, it's how good he is. And I believe, I was, I was uh, years ago I read, I think it was Bill, uh, Bill Johnson and Chris Walton, I think, I don't know what book it was, but they were writing together. And they were talking about uh, that many times there is always a place for... Uh, encouragement, correction, instruction in the body if someone has stumbled and fallen. But what they were saying is what they saw is this. The quicker that they saw that brother restored in intimacy with the Lord and in the operation of the gifts on the inside of them, the faster they really came out of the funk that had, that had tripped them up. Why? How can that be? Because he said, I've played, listen to this, Each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual endowment, a gracious divine endowment, uh, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment. Employ it for one another as befits befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. So what is it saying? As I employ this gift, as I give opportunity for this gift to be expressed in the body, in Walmart, in my office place, wherever I work, as I allow this to be uh, manifested through me, what's being manifested is the multifaceted grace of God. The multidimensional, the multifaceted there, it literally means like a diamond that's cut. A diamond has facets on the backside of it. There are a lot of different cuts and different angles, and what those facets do is they catch the light when it hits it. So he said, as we employ the gifts of God that's on the inside of us, we display to the world and the body his multifaceted grace. You know what's beautiful about that? When I come in and I display the grace that God put on the inside of me, it's just one of the facets of who he is. When Stephen comes in and he manifests the grace of God on his life, it's another facet. When Josh does, when Tina does, when Ben does, when John does, do you get what I'm saying? So what happens is we come in, not with the mentality, I got to get something today, but we come in with the mentality that says, God's placed something on the inside of me, and I'm going to have opportunity to share that today. Doesn't mean everyone's going to stand up here and grab a mic, but it means that when I come in, my eyes are open. I'm looking, God, who is it today? Because there's something in me. And what happens, the room gets filled with the glory and the grace of God. Because we didn't come in waiting for one team to lead us into a place that we haven't been all week. Or one man to give us uh, a shot in the arm so that we can make it through the end of the week till till next week. Verse 11. Whoever speaks, let him do it as one who utters oracles of God. Whoever renders service, let him do it as with the strength which God furnishes abundantly, 
So then all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever through endless ages. Amen, so be it. <laughs> That's awesome. Whoever speaks, let him do it as one who utters oracles of God. So when we share, when we speak, he says, don't just look at it, this is coming from me. He said, when you speak, you speak like this is coming straight from the Father to you. Come on. He said, he that renders service, let him do it as if with the strength which God furnishes abundantly. Come on, if you're serving in some area of church, some area of ministry, you're serving, you shouldn't be doing it. Well, here, guys, my week to serve. Glory to God. Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus. (laughs) We should say, God, I thank you that you've given me the opportunity and the ability to do this. I can run a vacuum cleaner to the glory of God. Amen. You know, we were, Joyce shared this Friday night, she said as she was down painting the mural, one of the things is she said people would come in and it would begin to get in her head and she would get, it would start messing with her about her confidence and things like that. And she said, the Lord just said, you're doing this for an audience of one. I mean, no matter how many bystanders you have, you're doing it for an audience of one. Man, if we, as we get that mentality then whatever area we're serving in is that we're doing it to an audience of one. So if I'm here by myself and I'm vacuuming the church, I'm not, I can't believe how nasty these people, these call themselves Christians. I can't believe it. There's a rapper. I just need to teach people how to keep their house. This is ridiculous. Or we can say, God, I thank you that we got carpet to vacuum. God, I thank you that there's people here that make a mess. Because where the ox is clean, nothing gets done. But there's people here, and I'm telling you, you got a lot to be thankful for when the youth have a service in here. I'm just kidding. They clean up good now. <laughs> but we, you, we, it's all in your mentality. It's all, and what I'm saying is this. If we come with the mentality, I just got to get mine so that I can go on. We're, we're not just robbing those around us, but we're being robbed. And I'm telling you, one of the things is I pressed into this and said, God, what is it? He said, it's hurt. The majority of it, not all of it, but the majority of it's hurt. It's offense. We'll allow an offense to stop us from enjoying what we do and from even doing it at all because we base our current condition on what's happened to us in the past. Just like the disciples, they were worried about their provision. They went right back to their natural ability to reason this thing out and figure it out. God, how's this going to happen? God, if I really start loving like uh, 1 Peter says I'm supposed to do, above all, have intense and unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. What is that? It forgives and disregards the offense of others. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Love takes no account of a wrong suffered. I'm telling you, here's what it's going to look like in the river. As people get greater revelation of how much they are loved, that when someone else does them wrong, they can still forgive and they can love. Because I I was sharing with Stephen this week, here's who I am and, and how easy it is for me to become guarded, is I believe the word to be true. And it says, you believe the best of every man. 
So when I'm in relationship with someone, when you're coming into the church, I'm believing the best of you. I don't, I'm not basing who you are on what I've heard. Let me say that again. I'm not basing who you are on what I've heard. I will love you without walls. And you know what? Sometimes that hurts really bad because everybody doesn't have a pure agenda. No, they they have an agenda, that's for sure. So it's easy to love like this. But Jesus never did. He loved like this. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they did. There's very sincere people who can be sincerely wrong, and they had no intention on hurting anyone, but it happened. And when we base our life off of that hurt, and we base our life off of that offense, and we look at a person, we say, well, if they're really a Christian, they would have never done this and this and this. The Bible says that when we love the way he's called us to love, we disregard that offense. It doesn't mean we give them a right to keep walking over us. What it does is say, look, I love you enough that I'm going to go to you and tell you. I love you enough that I'm going to go and I'm going to tell you. If you choose not to, do nothing, not to do anything with it, then that's when our relationship changes. And I didn't change the relationship. <laughs> you did. That's, uh, I was talking with someone the other day, and they were talking about, I think it's Danny Silk. He's the one who wrote Loving Kids on Purpose and stuff like that. And he talked about <clears throat> one of the things he does and with his children, he gives them a choice. This is what it looks like if you're obedient and you do what you're supposed to do. And this is what it looks like when you're not. But you get to choose. I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do. I'm just telling you that this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be, to be obedient because I love you and I want what's best for you. And this is what it looks like to be disobedient, right? Isn't that pretty much in a nutshell what he said? He said, but I'm going to let you choose which one. He teaches them that they are free moral agents, that they can make a choice, that I, as their father, am not going to manipulate them into my decision. But I'm going to let them know right up front, here's, your, here's the result. Here's the way it's going to go down, the options. It's this one or this one. There's not a... There's not an, another door. It's these two. And you choose how that is. And the same thing in relationship. I'm going to love you. And that hurts. And you know what? And this is going to be hard. For, I'm glad you're sitting down. This is going to be hard for some of you. I know. Because I see the look in your eye. I'm not perfect. <laughs> ben, don't leave. Ben, don't, please don't leave. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Tina, she's not perfect. I know it's hard to believe. That's why I said I'm glad you're sitting down. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. But here, I can promise you this. If I've done anything to hurt anyone in this room, it was not malicious. I don't have anything in me that says I'm going I'm to show them. I didn't say I haven't ever. But what I will say is this, that died. So my heart is not to maliciously exploit, hurt, or offend anyone. But can that happen through misunderstanding? The Lord, if he's taught me anything in the past few months, is that there's many times I say things, and, I, and I'm really clear on what I say, and others are very unclear on what I say. And that's become very clear to me. <laughs> that's clear as mud, isn't it? <laughs> that makes everything better. But what I say and what you think I say can be two totally different things. And the Lord has shown me the importance of communicating effectively and slowing down and taking time to hear and to give them an opportunity to be heard. And that through that, we have opportunity to really grow an authentic relationship. But I'm telling you, 
as, as when I look at the word, there's not an excuse. There's not an excuse for us to not have intimate, vibrant relationship with the Lord. We can't blame anyone else. There's a choice. He said, you can walk in this kind of love right here. You can walk in a love that's intense and unfailing, that says, I forgive and disregard, disregard the offenses of others. I refuse to hold it against them. I refuse to, to hold their, uh, their sin against them. Let me see what this is right here. Proverbs 10, 12 says, love, let me just read it. It says this, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Man, that's good. Hatred stirs up strife. I didn't say it, okay? So if there's an area of strife, it's not coming out of love. Do you hear me? Hatred stirs up provokes strife, but love covers. Love says, you know what? I'm going to walk in love. I'm not going to walk in offense. And as we say that, as we do that, then we free not just ourselves up, but we free the Lord up to do in our lives what he wants to do because we've had him boxed out because of our offense, because we took it and we kept it and we're holding on to it. And I just, I look and I see people who are hurting. I see people who change the whole way that they live because of an offense, because of a hurt. And they go, I can't do that. I can't love like that anymore because the last time I loved like that, here's what happened. And God is love. So when we begin to shut love out of our lives, who are we shutting out? We're shutting him out. And when we shut him out, we begin to implode. And that's when we start saying, well, I can't do this. I don't have anything to give. I don't have it all together. You know what? There was only one who had it all together, and that was Jesus. And he surrounded himself with, a, with men who didn't have it all together. And you know what? He's still surrounded with men and women who don't have it all together. And that, he's not afraid of that. Isn't that awesome? He's not afraid of that. But as we look to him, I, you know, I read this, and I'm not going to read it today, but Friday night I read in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 33, Paul's writing, he said, uh, how is it when you come together, each of you has a psalm and a teaching and a tongue and a revelation interpretation? And, and he talks about, uh, he said, let all things be done for edification. So then he goes into explaining what that kind of looks like. But what was so exciting about that is I read it. I saw it with different eyes. I didn't see it with, why are you guys making a mess in the church? What I saw was, man, when you come together, everybody's got a psalm. Everybody's got a testimony. Everybody's got a tongue and an interpretation. Everyone has a revelation. What do you mean? So Paul was saying, when y'all come together, you're so excited about being together and what God's put on the inside of you, I've got to give some order to it so that everybody can be edified. Not just you get to speak, but everybody can be encouraged. So what we're going to do is we're going to let just one at a time share instead of everybody sharing at the same time. Boy, that makes good sense. Right? That'd be like, what do you mean? That'd be like if everybody came in, we were so excited, everybody just started sharing their word at the same time. Who's going to be edified? You. But is it for you? He said you employ your gift for what? For others. Oh, so, it makes so much sense. It's so simple that it's complicated. But he said <clears throat> that if we'll love the way he loved, as, as we, not if, as we love, as he loved, then we're willing to share the gift 
that's on the inside of us. My heart burns for that. I shared last week about the trees, the sequoia tree and the, the redwood tree, and I had pictures and everything I was going to show, but I won't for sake of time. Maybe next week. We'll see. Maybe not. Don't. But it showed, I, I went and I looked at pictures, and there's pictures of sequoia, of redwood trees, and they have holes bigger than this root, this bigger than I can reach from me to Stephen wide and tall in this root that are burned into the middle of the tree from fire. But the outside of the tree is vibrant, and the tree is still uh, hundreds of feet tall and still has full of life, still bearing fruit. You know why? Because its roots are wide. And not just wide, they're connected. They literally grow together with the trees around them. And that's why they grow in groves, because their strength comes. So what are you saying? They could withstand that burning, that trial, that hurt, because of the life that they were connected to. (laughs) Not because they weren't out by themselves secluded, but because of the life that they're connected to. They can sustain. They can live through this um, terrible ordeal. And I mean, there was some, there was probably 30 feet tall up into the tree that had been burnt out, but the outside of the tree was still vibrant and doing well. Isn't that amazing? See, here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you ain't ever been burned. (coughs) We've all been burned. If you've been in relationship at all, you've been burned. But here's the beauty of it. If you'll stay connected you can still live through the burn. And what was meant to destroy or had the ability to destroy will just make you stronger. Now, there may be a scar. There might be a a remembrance of what happened. But what you do is you don't live from the scar. You live from the life that you're connected to. Amen. You are Lord Jesus Christ At your Father's right hand You are Son of and from the dead Emmanuel begin